I thought they were going to crank it back up again there. You never know with Ernie Haas and signature sound. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, a great place to end our Bible study passage uh, today. And uh, before we move on to Numbers and Deuteronomy, if you don't have your study materials to, uh, to pick up next Sunday, they're right here. So you can pick those up on your way out. But, but when Paul was writing Ephesians, he was under guard. He was imprisoned. He was surrounded by a Roman soldier or soldiers. And as he was winding down this letter, his letter, this letter of love and encouragement and exhortation to the Ephesians, this would have reminded him of every believer's spiritual battle and the importance of being prepared for spiritual battle? Do you feel on a daily basis that you are prepared for the spiritual battle of the world? If not, uh, we have very clear instructions here in verses 10 through 20, exactly what we are to do and how we are to do it. Verse 12 actually tells us that our battles are with evil spiritual forces in the heavens. They may be in the heavens, but they sure feel like they're on earth some days, don't they? And today's lesson reminds us that God gives us the spiritual armor that we will need to fight our battles on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, because that's the way spiritual attacks come. Doreen, you're sitting there, and that's messing me up. I'm looking for you right here. Um, so we are going to fight and we are going to battle on a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. The apostle could attest from his own Christian life experience that all believers, every last believer, every one of us, Billy Graham, must be clear-eyed and serious about daily living as followers of Christ. Satan doesn't attack those he already has. Satan doesn't attack those he already has. But as Christians, we enjoy a new life of love and hope and unity and victory and peace in Jesus. But until Christ's return, the Christian life also is a daily battle against dark and entrenched forces of spiritual wickedness that will attack us at every vulnerable spot that we have. And they will never quit and they will never give us a break. If we know it and we are prepared for it and expectant of it, it will make it a lot easier to... um, to fight our way through. Some years ago, Quinette sent me a a piece from Dr. Charles Stanley. It was a daily devotional, and it was about this particular subject. It was about putting on the armor of God and what it means. And I've kept it for a number of years, and so last Sunday when I began to study this Sunday's material, I pulled it out right away. And uh, um, it says in this particular uh, piece, it says, God has laid out clear guidelines to help us successfully face conflict with the devil. And the Bible says that we must do a few things. Here they are. You ready? Be alert. We must be alert. We must be on our guard at all times. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we have to be alert. Two, we must never give Satan an opportunity. Ephesians chapter 4, 24, uh, 26 through 27 says, um, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So we must be alert and we must never give Satan an, open, an, op- an opening or an opportunity. And thirdly, we must be submissive. We must submit to God and resist the devil. James 4, 7 states, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Be alert, 
Never give Satan an opening or an opportunity, and we must be submissive to God in resisting the devil. I'm going to have Quinette, when we tear into these different uh, pieces of armor, I'm going to ask her what the devotional says about that particular piece of armor, because it's, uh, it's something I know is important to her, and it was very important to me. I kept it for a number of years. In fact, I'm going to print up a copy of it this week and just stick it in my Bible as one of those continual reminders about the fact that this is not a destination This is an ongoing journey. This is something we have to fight every day, and we will never, as Christians, get so strong, we won't come under attack. Christian, we face a spiritual battle every single day. We must suit up every single day, every single morning. By ending his letter with an appeal to beware of the devil's schemes, isn't that a perfect word, scheme, to go with the devil? The devil's schemes, Paul was emphasizing the reality of the devil as an evil spiritual being in our world. He is at work in our world. Nevertheless, the devil has already been defeated by Jesus and that cross. He has. But he will continue to bite our ankles and we have to be vigilant and ready In verse 10, where we're going to pick up, Paul indicates he's wrapping up his letter and he says, finally, that's the word that he starts the verse with. It's kind of his, uh, and before I close, let me give you this. So he says, and before I close, let me give you this encouragement to take advantage of the strength that is available to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody read verse 10 for me. Somebody have it? Thank you, Dolores. So the Lord provides the strength that we're going to need for these battles, and God's power is vastly greater than yours and mine. Agreed? And God's power is vastly greater than uh, any other human being on earth. Agreed? Oprah or whoever you would like to uh, suggest. And God is more powerful than the devil. Agreed? So God is the most powerful, and at his knees, on our knees before him, we will get his power to overcome human strength and to overcome the the powers of evil that come against us. In verse 11, as we jump forward here, he indicates the scheming devil is a dangerous. He is a danger to many things in our life. In fact, Paul had already referred to the spiritual enemy as the ruler of the power of the air. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2. So somebody grab verse 11 for me. Do we have a verse 11 reader with a strong voice? Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Bill. Okay, so you can just envision Paul not being in the world's greatest of uh, uh, situations here. And uh, uh, his closest person of proximity is a Roman soldier. And he says, armor up. He's able to look at them and he's able to to see what they dress like every day. Remember Matthew 6, 18, in Jesus' words to Peter, he says the following. He says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome it. From the beginning of human history until now, the devil has been active in the world, prowling around like a roaring lion. So how can believers hope to stand against such a strong evil power? 
We must put on the full armor of God, as verse 11 says to us. And the Greek word for armor referred to a weapon or an instrument of battle. Paul was not just referring to a particular weapon, but to the entire battle uniform. Because we have multiple points of vulnerability on our bodies. And he was referring not only to defensive uh, artillery, but also to offensive artillery. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity, really at the 11th hour and at the request of someone I was traveling with, to go to a Vancouver Canucks St. Louis Blues NHL hockey game. It just came, it came up at uh, 10 till 7. Well, right across the street is a place we can go see a hockey game. Do you want to go? And it's been a number of years since I went to an NHL hockey game. But one of the things that I was focused on during the game is that all of the players on the, uh, the ice are basically offensive in nature with the exception of one person, and that is who? The goalie. The goalie is basically your defensive, he's your stopgap. But the one thing that I noticed, and I've used this analogy multiple times in business since that time, is even though he is defensive in nature, as action came to him, he became offensive. He didn't just stand there and block shots and wait. He attacked the puck. He attacked players. He was throwing people out of the way, and he was maneuvering. He was very offensive in nature as a defensive person. Paul is saying that we are going to have offensive and defensive mechanisms at our behest to fight the evil one. I don't know about you, but I don't just want to sit around and play defense. I'd rather go on offense. And so by going on offense, we are emboldened and strengthened even more if we are out there and we are fighting. Does it make us a bigger target? Sure it does. Sure, if we are out there and we are doing things that Christ tells us to do, we're going to become a big target. But we're not going to sit back and wait for the puck. We're going to go out and we're going to attack it. We are going to be offensive in nature. God gives his people the full spiritual resources, not only to defend ourselves, but to take the battle to the enemy. How do we take the battle to the enemy? By carrying out the gospel message to all of the nations to not missing those opportunities to say things when we have the opportunity and it's teed up for us. If we as believers are to be spiritually prepared for Christ-like living on a daily basis, we have to know the truth about our real enemy and we have to employ the right strategy for defeating him. And so we begin to see what the, uh, Paul believes the, uh, the armor of God is, and he means no words, picking up in verse 12. The effective growing Christian life is a daily struggle on a series of, uh, on, with an ongoing series of battles in our lives. Somebody have verse 12? Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Jay. The power of the enemy might be manifested through the agency of wicked people, through pagan governments, through a variety of different things. Uh, flesh and blood, it says, and uh, we are battling not only Satan, but we are uh, battling flesh and blood. 
Nevertheless, Paul understood in his daily walk, and all believers need to realize, that the ultimate battle for us is spiritual in nature. Will it sometimes manifest itself as something physical or mental? Absolutely, it will. But it is a spiritual battle that we fight. And Paul identified a couple of different spiritual forces that are at work in our world trying to trip us up trying to get us off the right path, trying to harass us and tempt us and defeat us. First, rulers or principalities and authorities, powers. Those evidently describe people that are in political places and they are opponents of the gospel. They are opponents of the good work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a perfect example of that was Herod the Great. As we get ready to enter this particular season, we think about what Herod the Great uh, stood for. He was a perfect example of a political leader that uh, had wicked animosity toward the newborn Christ. And it can only be, be explained as the work of an evil spirit residing in a human ruler's heart. Fortunately, that's all back in the Bible days, and we don't have to deal with that today, right? Second, we see the phrases of cosmic power of the darkness and evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's warning us that uh, these satanic spiritual forces and beings use their power to destroy lives, to destroy marriages, to destroy health, to destroy churches. Yes, Christ through his sinless life and atoning death and victorious resurrection and ascension defeated the devil and his demonic minions. And one day Christ is going to return. Glory be that day. And he will banish his enemies forever to the abyss of hell. That'll be a happy day. The devil's only present power is to harass and to fight against followers. And he does it in a, a, some of the simplest ways. Discouragement. Anybody ever wake up in the morning and you're ready to tear the world apart and by 9.15 you're discouraged over something? It's an amazing thing. And then by 10 o'clock you're back on track and you're ready to tear the world apart. Every human being deals with discouragement. Christians, we deal with this discouragement because it is one of Satan's great ways to bring us down. Fortunately, we have the Lord's armor that is more sufficient to protect us and equip us for the battles that we face. And after we take seriously the enemy, that's one thing we, we must do. We must take seriously the enemy and his motivations and his aggressiveness. Then we can be better prepared to understand the urgency of Paul's command to take up the full armor of God in verse 13. Somebody have it? 13. It's between 12 and 14. Hey, thank you, Lou. Thank you, Lou. Well, it's pretty clearly spelled out there in verse 13 that what we can expect uh, when we are spiritually prepared. First, we'll be able to stand strong against a great opposition. Uh, in verses 14 through 17, which we're getting ready to jump into, Paul identified parts of the spiritual armor God gives his people, and these parts include his word and the truth of the gospel. Glad to have those. And I love how Paul makes the command in verse uh, 14 when he says, stand. It's a simple word. But if you take that word and you break it down to its basic uh, nature, it is a firm word. It is an aggressive word. It is a word of action. You don't think of the word stand as a word of action until you can't do it. But he is saying stand. That means get up on your feet. 
My dad used to have a saying, he'd say to me, if I was feeling sorry for myself or something, he'd say, God gave two, men two legs for a reason, and that's to stand on. Stand, stand up, stand up for ourselves. Uh, and Paul follows that with a vivid description of these various parts of the full armor. In fact, we're going to take on verse 14, and then I'm going to ask Quinette to share uh, about that particular piece of armor. There were five components of defensive equipment and one offensive weapon. Somebody grab verse 14, and we'll dig into the armor of God. Anybody have it? Thank you, Bruce. So why do we wear a belt, guys? We wear a belt to keep our pants up, right? Sometimes we wear suspenders. Sometimes we wear a belt and suspenders if we've gotten to a certain part in our life, but we wear a belt to keep our pants up. That's not what a Roman soldier wore a belt for. Paul may have identified, some of the commentators that I read this week suggest that Paul was looking at a Roman soldier so much that he may have identified the order that a Roman soldier dressed for battle in spelling these things out. He began by urging believers to put on the truth like a belt around your waist. Most of us wear the belt to keep our pants up. The soldier wore his belt for another reason, and it was a kind of a, uh, a source of hidden strength and confidence. They wore like a tunic-type shirt over the top, and then the belt was higher-up-type belt. Why did they wear the belt? Because the belt held their sword. It wasn't to hold up their pants. It was to hold their weapon. Do you have one about the belt, Quinette? What's it say? We are to conduct ourselves out of the truth of Scripture, knowing that our sins have been forgiven as a result of our relationship to Jesus Christ, and that the indwelling Holy Spirit enables us to do this glory. So put on your belt. Next, he urged us to depend on God, our God-given righteousness like the armor on your chest. An ancient soldier's chest protector would have been made by of either a piece of thick leather, really tough leather hide, or uh, some kind of a hammered bronze. Uh, it was worn to protect a soldier's vital organs from being pierced. A wound like that would have ended a soldier's life quite often. And Paul compared that vital piece of armor with the believer's righteousness. We receive righteousness only by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he continues on with the list. Somebody have verse 15 for me. Anybody? Thank you, Connie. Uh, Quinette, go back and give us what he has for, uh, for our righteousness. Great. Now tell us what uh, he suggests about our, our, our feet, our sandals. Thank you, Quinette. Okay, so next he's talking about our sandaled feet. The Roman soldier sandals weren't flip-flops. 
They weren't Crocs. They were almost like an open-toed boot. Think about a Roman soldiers. They were a leather thing that kind of came up to around their knee, and they were strapped, and they had leather straps all the way uh, up. The bottoms of the sandals were also made of leather, but they had these little steel metal cleats in there for traction. In spiritual terms, Paul identified sandals as being ready for the gospel of peace. As believers, we must be ready to share the gospel of peace wherever we go. The gospel of peace is needed in our world today. It's an unshakable foundation for our lives as we navigate the difficulties of life. And the gospel of peace is the believer's guarantee that one day all of these battles that we face, Christian, will be over and God's peace will reign forever. And then Paul urged us to take up the shield of faith in verse 16. Somebody have the uh, verse 16? Excellent. Thank you, Carrie. Um, when we think about a Roman soldier's battle shield, it wasn't a half shield like you'd wear on an arm. It was a full shield, and you could, uh, you could put your whole body behind it. And I want you to think about a bunch of Roman soldiers together uh, with these shields. Uh, you could create quite an impenetrable uh, shield force against the enemy's arrows that were flying in and the flaming arrows of the enemies. What's he uh, suggest about our uh, shield, Quinette? Great, thank you. Verse 17, we continue to prepare for battle. Does somebody have it? 17. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. A Roman soldier's helmet was uh, made of bronze or iron. Its purpose was pretty self-evident, obviously, to keep you from uh, getting uh, clunked in the head by uh, some kind of a crushing blow, wherever that came from, whatever kind of... Uh, 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 enemy uh, crushing blow would uh, whack you in the head. Maybe it was a, some kind of a, what do they call it? A, like a, not, not like a hammer, but sometimes it was a penetratable uh, sword or a spear. Other times it was a, just like a, a mallet of some kind that they'd whack you in the head with. I don't know about you, but even having a helmet on, I don't think I want to be whacked in the head with a, a, a giant mallet. But our helmet is our salvation, and our salvation will rescue us from the danger and protect us from the crushing blows of sin, death, and the devil. What's he share about that, Quinette? Truth, right there. That's some truth. Paul emphasized the importance. He's moving on now, and he's going to begin to emphasize the importance of prayer for the person who is going into spiritual battle who is always in spiritual battle, who is already in spiritual battle. Having described the Christian's armor, Paul now moves on to address the best strategy for gaining spiritual victories, and that is to pray. Verse 18. Somebody grab verse 18 for us. Thank you, Bill. Thank 
Thank you, Bill. I'm going to take that verse someday. We're just going to, we're going to uh, stray away from our Sunday school material someday, and we're just going to look at that verse for an entire lesson. When do we pray? There's never a bad time or a wrong time to pray. Every situation we face in life is worthy of prayer. In what attitude do we pray? We pray in, a, uh, we pray in the spirit that is motivated uh, by and helped along by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will intercede on our behalf. What kind of prayer should we offer? We should re- offer every kind of prayer and every kind of request. Who should we pray for? We should pray for non-believers. We should pray for believers. We should pray for ourselves. We, we should pray for our uh, fellow brothers and sisters. We should pray for all the saints. In verse 19 and 20, Paul asked for the Ephesian believers to pray for him in some specific ways. Somebody wrap us up with those two verses. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. Wow, isn't that an interesting uh, thing that he suggested to them? Pray for me that every time I open my mouth, the right words will come out. It's an important prayer. He asked them to pray that he might know exactly what God wanted him to say when he had the opportunity to say it. Do you ever wake up in the morning and pray for yourself, Lord Jesus, give me what to say when I have the opportunity to say it? And Paul asked these people, these friends, these other believers, these brothers and sisters to pray for his boldness in sharing the gospel. Not only give me the words to say, give me the opportunities to do it. Amazing. One reason that Paul had to battle with fear likely had to do with the fact that he was a prisoner in Rome. He was an ambassador in chains. He was not freely able to travel. He could not even move around in Rome. On any given day, the emperor might decide that he would have been the perfect pawn, the perfect political pawn in a given situation, and he might have ended his life to pacify Paul's enemies and the enemies of the gospel. Yet Paul was an ambassador of the king of kings. He was just an ambassador in chains. May we pray for one another to have the same boldness in our lives as this imprisoned ambassador of the King of Kings. I don't know about you, but I can't wait until I get to heaven and I get a chance to sit down with Paul. That's a conversation I look forward to. So the armor, we put on the armor, we gear up, we understand, we prepare ourselves, we understand that we are going to fight and we are going to have to fight at every given turn. We have to be alert, according to 1 Peter 5 eight. We never give Satan an opportunity or an opening. That's according to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And we must submit to God in resisting the devil, according to James 4, 7. Put on the armor of God, pray for your fellow believers, pray for non-believers, pray for each other, and we'll be ready, ready to do battle. Let's go to... Right. You're correct. Who here is a world champion sword drill winner? Do you remember sword drills when you were younger? 
If you don't remember sword drills, they were when you would basically, uh, help me out, my, I'm old. We would stand there with our Bibles, right? And they were, had to be closed and they would give you a particular, Susan, what was it? They'd give you a particular passage and the first one to read it was the winner of that round, right? And so that was the sword drill. You would fight your way uh, uh, to the uh, closest scripture, that, to the scripture that they actually gave you and you would uh, play multiple rounds against people. So maybe we need to bring sword drills back. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll clear out for the choir here. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your armor. Lord, we pray that we have the words and the strength to say them when the opportunity presents itself. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.